Hi there, my name is Tim. And my name is Luke. And you are listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode, we share ideas and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals, and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. Uh, Welcome, Dave. Uh, Welcome to the Recruitment Now podcast. Terrific. Thanks, Tim. Dave has an extensive record of developing partnerships and being at the forefront of collaboration. He possesses expertise in talent acquisition, career development, onboarding processes, and diversity best practices. Uh, Dave has worked for the City of Calgary since 2001 and is currently a talent management consultant there. His role includes managing the corporate LinkedIn account brand for the City of Calgary, and he regularly uses LinkedIn Recruiter as well as other tools to directly source candidates for roles at the city. So welcome, Dave. Thank you. So yeah, we have lots to talk about here, and I think you're going to provide a very unique perspective compared to some of our other guests that have been on this podcast. Um, We've had a number of, you know, well, researchers external recruiters, agency recruiters with that lens. And you're going to bring the lens of the in-house recruiter, pros, cons, and everything there. So I I really look forward to this conversation. But before we get there, why don't we chat a bit about your background and kind of what led you into recruitment, your career path there. So I'll I'll let you tell us a bit about that. Sure. I often describe my career path as avoiding human resources for a very long time. (laughs) Um, uh, Your listeners obviously won't be able to see me, but I'm actually a T12 paraplegic. I was injured when I was 18, a month before my 19th birthday. And at that point in time, I was uh, really impacted by a a recreation therapist in the hospital here in Calgary. Um, And at that point in time, I just wanted to kind of go back into that realm. And I thought recreation and rehabilitation was going to be the field. And through that, was able to kind of go into vocation and so forth and uh, explore some more of the business side and human resources side. And so starting with the city of Calgary, I really wanted to get into recreation, but I couldn't. So I actually ended up uh, getting hired by the Youth Employment Center because of my vocational career counseling background and HR side. And after that, uh, within a couple of years, I, I moved into a role called a community recreation coordinator, thinking, again, it was recreation. Really, there is very little recreation in that role. <laughs> it's it's more about uh, managing relationships with the uh, boards and agencies across the city of Calgary, the community centers and things of that nature, providing guidance on their operations, really being a, a, a generalist, for lack of better words, in the human resources field for the volunteers. After that, I moved into uh, a learning and development role for the Community Neighborhood Services Business Unit. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked to do that and did that for about four and a half years before HR came knocking and said, we need your assistance. This is a project we're going to be working on we'd, and we're wondering if you might be interested in applying for the role. I and that's what you're doing today? Well, it, it's it's changed a little bit. Okay. And so today I'm, I'm doing the executive search side of things as a human resources consultant and executive consultant and coach internally. So it's, it's been a little bit of a path over 19 years, but uh, the organization has allowed me to develop my career and, and see those different aspects. So Dave, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what it is that you're currently doing at the city of Calgary and what a typical day looks like. Well, uh, a typical day never looks the same. It's always <laughs> different. Uh, with a large organization, 15,000 employees, um, we are um, called upon to work on hard-to-fill, executive-level positions, unique positions, because the city of Calgary is so diverse. We have everything from recreation leaders to garbage collections to engineers to senior finance people and, and so forth. So we're called upon to help fill those positions, look for individuals who will match those areas, really lead the entire process from start to finish, uh, in, ensuring that we're trying to find and fill and, and hire the best talent. So I guess 
it was a learning experience for me because uh, for our listeners, Dave and I worked together a few years ago at the city of Calgary. And I'll admit when I first, you know, started the job, I was a bit naive about the broadness of what city employees do. You know, there are stereotypes out of there, but you mentioned that just the eclecticness of everything from the fire department to the garbage collectors to everything in between there was fascinating to me. And it changed my perspective of how the city, I actually value that year I spent at the city very much because it really changed my perspective on what public sector life is. You know, it's a unique industry for sure. There's only one organization in town that will be doing certain projects and, and that's our organization. And so from that, you, you really get to see that diversity where if you're working in an internal search firm or you're just working for an IT firm or just working for an engineering firm, those are the roles you're dealing with. Well, I, I'm dealing with a broad spectrum. Uh, no two days are the same. One day I may be working with something with city council or a senior official like the city manager or GM in an organization. The next day I may be providing some counsel and guidance to someone who's working on a recreation program just looking to hire summer staff that will provide those activities uh, to citizens during the summer months. And d- does that make it a little bit difficult though? To, you know, I, I always call myself a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none. Do you ever find that that could be the, the negative connotation to trying to do it all and such a big variety it's hard to then zone into something that's very niche uh, i don't I, I really enjoy it and i enjoy it from the perspective of really we're looking at a very similar process from start to finish and the practices that were involved and the elements we're bringing into that either interviews or reference checks or possibly psychometric assessments things of these nature there's there's very consistent process and practice that way for the hiring where the uniqueness comes in is that diversity of positions so uh, over the time period that I've been able to do this, I've developed a, an extensive knowledge of a number of positions. But at the same time, we're so large, we're not going to learn every single job. So there are times when I walk in and I don't know anything about the role. And what about access to talent? Because sometimes you do need access to talent that's in a real tight niche. And the only way you can do that is because you've already fostered that talent pool or funnel. Well, that's the nice thing about the organization. With us being so broad, we've been able to develop those talent pools over the years. I mm-hmm. mean, we're, we're looking at it between 140 and maybe 200,000 applications in a calendar year. Whoa. Uh, there's wow. no shortage of people that are interested in working for our organization. And so the, the, uh, the diversity of people that come to us, just reaching out to us generically wanting a conversation, is, inst- is extremely broad then it's been our ability to develop those relationships over time, um, you know, with various different individuals and different sectors and so forth. The key for us, though, when we don't know anything about really the field and with any job is the involvement of the subject matter expert, that hiring manager. We're not there to do the job on their behalf. We're there to partner with them and really be at the table. This is what we're bringing into the table. This is how we can move through this but we need your subject matter expertise. Now I say over the years we've been able to develop in that certain area, so the role of that subject matter expert or the hiring manager may diminish a little bit, but at other times they may be front and center and uh, in telephone pre-screen interviews with us for an hour uh, doing those calls because we just do not speak the exact same language of the candidate. That's where that hiring manager and that expert play that critical role. We I think can, you're, you're fortunate to get that amount of participation. <laughs> you know what, It's it's been a key element that when we started the entire process of, of doing this many, many years ago, it was something that we found critical. And so it, it's one of those elements where if they're not participating, we've got a long list of clients behind us that do need our help. And so that's where we're going to go on and move into mm-hmm. those types of areas. So it, it it's something that, that plays a part. Now, at times, 
because of Tim and I's work in the past, Tim has stepped in and been able to do some of those elements. But at other times, it's absolutely critical that we have that engineer there that can speak the language of uh, rail or water or roads or any of those kinds of elements that we just don't have that expertise on. Now, Dave, your role itself, now there's recruiters in other aspects of the public sector, but you're more than a recruiter. And we've we've already debated the term, and I don't know what the proper term is. I use the term sourcer, and we can debate whether yeah. that's the right term, yeah. but you actually do more than just wait for candidates to apply to the city and then screen them. You're actually actively reaching out to them, actively we, sourcing. So how... How did that end up in your in your wheelhouse in the public sector? Yeah, you know what, it really is a timing a timing thing of of everything kind of came together at the right time. About seven eight years ago, I guess now we had a, a manager change and uh, the new manager came into our area, Mark Lavalley, that you know, yep. and really started talking about where he wanted to see recruitment progress at the same time social media was really just kind of starting to become a new bubbling thing it was more ingrained in the states but in canada it was really just starting and it was just a a perfect recipe in which a new manager wanted to come in and change some things myself being relatively new onto the team and in that area and wanting to focus on that and and as i said previously when we talked i'm extremely competitive (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's a a real big advantage for the field and for the role and what i'm doing but it was just a, a simple conversation of why are we outsourcing some of these things? What can we do internally to support our candidates more and our hiring managers more? Uh, and really, it's a marketing and branding opportunity. We can't hide anywhere. Um, our information is in the news every single day. There's always some sort of an article. So what can we do to help leverage that and uh, market to individuals, make them aware of our opportunities? Just speaking to a candidate yesterday, and their words were, oh, well, I never would have considered the public service before, but based on what you're telling me, yeah, I'm going to look at this a little bit further. So you had contacted this candidate. He or she didn't contact you. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So have you heard of similar roles in the public sector? I haven't, but you, you, you may have more connections than me. Sure. So when we started this, it was unique. It, it really was. Um, we would reach out to candidates to make them aware of it, and they'd say, what organization are you with? And we'd be having to explain who we are and what we were doing. Oh, okay. And we're working with LinkedIn, one of our contract managers at that time, because we were taking advantage of that tool and then trying to utilize it a little bit further. And slowly but surely, you know, it just started to build. And one of the first things that really came to our attention was when, well, two organizations, the city of Los Angeles and the city of Seattle reached out to us. And they said, LinkedIn gave us your information <laughs> about what you're doing. We would like to talk to you about what you're doing and how you're doing it because we're going down that same path. And then slowly but surely we're going to conferences and we were lucky enough to go to LinkedIn Talent Connect a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And you see, and you're sitting in the room and you see all of the big players, the Microsofts, the Googles, uh, GM, Ford, they're all sitting there and they all have their recruitment teams and they're all doing this type of work in house. And slowly but surely, you start to see that government sector start to expand and build up a little bit further. So it is becoming a a more standard practice. We see it all the time in terms of different companies. We get contacted by, obviously, different companies within the private sector as well as the public sector saying, are you willing to sit down and talk and share information and and those kinds of things? But traditionally, I guess this was a, a role that was often outsourced to agencies. So I guess my... You know, I drafted notes for this conversation. I was thinking public sector, but you're saying it's actually happening broader than public sector, where large companies are actually bringing this more in-house versus uses, using agencies. So why do you think that's happening? 
Well, I, I think there's a number of different factors that have been in play there. Um, first of all, um, market and brand and reputation are becoming so much more important for every single organization. How organizations would behave or act in the past may have been acceptable. It's not so acceptable now. And so, so, so is it the is it the reputation or the control over the reputation? It, it's all of those kinds of things. It's all of those elements. I don't think you can single out a, a particular element, but that brand is becoming so much more. And you have to think about, and, and Delta Airlines, yeah, I'm sure it was Delta Airlines. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to go back to memories. Is a, is a perfect example. We watched them last year at, at Talent Connect, where they were talking about they fly X millions of people a year around the world. Those are all their candidates as well. So what can they do to help target that? If they're not having a good experience on the airplane, they're not going to have a good experience walking through their door to be a potential candidate and work for the company. And so I think it's a timing thing in which people are, are more cognizant of their brand, more cognizant of their reputation, um, all of those things that are important to people, diversity, inclusion, feeling supported, a safe work environment, all of these things really came together. And so you started to see the social media tools taking off and getting more traction. And it used to be years ago, the Rolodex on someone's desk, or I knew Tim, I could vote Tim, and Tim might refer me to Luke as a good candidate. That used to be how it is. But with the change in social media and the access to information now that many companies have online, it's created a a whole new world to be able to reach out to people in different ways. And so you can connect with people. And so when a company looks at it and says, our bottom line is here, we need to try and save X amount of money. How can we do that? We have a team internally that says it has a title of recruitment to them. What are they doing and how can we leverage those types of skills and abilities to gain gain that traction? I think that's awesome. And it, it's nice to see that there's a, a public sector company that is trying to save dollars. I'm going to say that I appreciate that. <laughs> but what are, the, what are the pros and the cons of bringing recruitment in-house in your perspective? Because there's always, there's always a pro and a con. Well, I, and, and I'm just going to speak generically mm-hmm. uh, for myself. The, the pros and cons, I think, are 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 interesting because sometimes a, a pro for another organization may be a con for, for another one. In terms of pros and cons, first of all, I think it really comes down to who are the individuals that are on your recruitment team. What are their skills and abilities? I've seen excellent recruiters in the private sector. I've seen excellent recruiters in the public sector. But I've conversely seen just as bad. Just as bad being... They're looking at the field of recruitment or talent acquisition as a, as a paper transaction and a checkbox. And it's just checkbox, checkbox. I'm giving you five minutes of my time. If you don't hit three checkboxes, you're done. I need to move on. And that really doesn't work for us. We're there to answer questions for anyone. We're there to have that conversation. So I think some of the pros and cons are, are those kinds of elements. How are you looking at uh, recruitment? How are you utilizing those tools? How are you moving through it? In terms of other organizations, you know, speed isn't always the best thing. So with our organization at times, uh, there are people who question, how long is your process going to take? And we generally say it's six to eight weeks from time of closing. And why do we say that? Well, it's going to take about a week to get through candidates because you have a large volume. It may take you another week to pre-screen individuals to narrow down to who you want to interview. Well, now you're at week three. But you're also having to deal with candidates who may be employed somewhere who may need to provide notice if they're already working. So there's a two-week sort of a time period that they need to to work with. Other organizations say, well, it's all about speed, first in, first out. 
the first application that comes through the door is the one that we're going to hire because we want to get them into the job and get them moving. It's all about efficiency and, and money. But if that person doesn't have the right skill set and the right abilities to do the job, then you're going to be stuck. You're going to be in a little bit deeper trouble down the road. There might have been someone else who was maybe just around the corner or maybe their resume came in just afterwards and, and that didn't match. So up. speed to hire is always a metric in every hiring department. It what is. else do you measure? Honestly, we measure everything. Um, myself and my partner, we are tracking everything. The jobs we're involved in, the time it's taken, the number of connections that we've made, who have we reached out, what is our success rate. So on LinkedIn, they, they often talk about the average response rate. What is your response rate to your in-mail message? So your guys are likely familiar with that. LinkedIn says the average response rate is about 30%. We're sitting at 67 right now. Wow, that's so you're talking when somebody sends you a message? When somebody when, when, when we send out 10 messages, we back. send 10 yeah. messages, we're likely going to get seven back roughly. Wow, that's pretty good. 70, 70% response rate. And even if the answer is, yeah, sorry, Dave, I'm not looking right now, but people are actually taking the time to respond to you versus just ignoring you. Absolutely. And, and it's diverse. Like I said, it may be something very simplistic down to uh, a recreation leader or something along those lines, all the way through up to CEOs and auditors of companies and so forth. People respond and they want to have conversations. Now, you said something really um, interesting earlier about because your consumer or your customer is also a possible hire, branding is so important. And I recently spoke with a local bank as well as a national bank, yeah. and this is an issue for them because every single one of their customers is not only having a customer experience, but a hiring experience. And they're struggling to quantify how that experience through the hiring process yeah. is for those candidates who apply and affects their customer base. How do you go about that? How do you identify the quality of the hiring experience, first of all, and then also how do you uh, determine the quantitative quality of hire at the end? Once you've hired someone. Yeah, and you know what? Those are always challenging questions to answer. They're the common ones in HR, and I don't think I've ever seen a clear answer of how to do that. So for us, we're, we're constantly talking to our candidates. First of all, direct feedback is best. Second of all, we're always talking to our hiring managers throughout the entire process. What are we doing that can be doing differently? Are you happy with the speed of things? How are we moving? Are we meeting your needs? We're always doing that informal, direct one-on-one. -on -one. Why wait till the end? Well, when we ate to the end, we're also waiting for a survey. So we're putting those surveys out, trying to seek that feedback, seek that insight and guidance. But then we're always cross-referencing some of that different data that, you know, the LinkedIn tool, for example, is just excellent at tracking. When did you reach out to that person? When did they get back to you? Is it a male? Is it a female? What institutions are they from? Where are they from? Where are they from? So we're always looking at that type of information to try and pull that in to see what we can do differently. And are we meeting, meeting those needs? Now, one reason you do hire an agency or a headhunter is, I don't know if it's, ethics is the right word, but there's kind of almost like a gentleman's agreement sometimes of not poaching from your competitors. Yeah. Do you ever feel that? Like, could you recruit from another municipality and not even stress about the the conundrum that you know that might bring to your job, et cetera? Or do you think there's any boundaries like that? Yeah. Well, for, first and foremost, we still do hire executive search firms at times. Okay. There are going to be times when we need to step back and be out of the process and, okay. and they need to go forward for transparency. Safety. And is that because you need a veil? Well, we, we need a, an independent process. And so for an example, it might have been uh, our, our previous uh, chief human resources officer. We were mm -hmm. not involved in his selection process at all. 
which Makes is sense. kind of your boss or your boss's boss. So Correct. it's a conflict of interest. Yeah. Correct. And, and so we look at those types of elements. There are other potential gentleman agreements that are uh, between business units. There are also potentially contractual agreements that are happening between projects that are currently ongoing. But what we do is really market those opportunities. If companies are solely left on the prop, uh, process, I think, of hoping someone doesn't leave because there's a contract in place, I think they maybe have some bigger issues to think about. Okay. I think we can all agree that there, there's no way to hold someone into a job. Yeah. If they're not happy, the most we can do is try and create an environment where they want to stay. And so really what we do is that marketing and that branding effect, trying to bring to their attention. Here's an opportunity that may be of interest to you. Um, in terms of other municipalities, they're a natural sort of group that we look to target. They may have the skill sets and the experiences that, that we look for. And conversely, we know we're being targeted at the same time. We know where we're losing talent to. We know where we're gaining talent from. We often get a message from a hiring manager, hey, I've just heard from this municipality. Sure, let's take a look at the message they sent you. It's up to you. You know, Most we can do is create an environment where someone wants to stay and be a part of that organization. So I have a burning question for you because I know of a lot of people who, um, although a job title or description may sound like something that suits them perfectly when they hear it's a public sector job it's like hands in the air i don't want to be a part of it that's going to frustrate me how do you access those talented people and and turn them around and have renewed faith in the fact that yes it's a public sector job but it can be as exciting as a private sector job well i I think regardless of where the people are there's there's some right people and there's some people who aren't ready yet and an example i'll give you is uh, i reached out to someone many years ago and talking to them about the opportunity. We sat down, we had a coffee, um, and, and just kind of shared back and forth our experiences. And at that point, they said, you know what, I don't think it's the right move for me. Terrific. Please let me know if I can answer any further questions for you, stay in touch, and so forth. Not a problem. And then I got onto the elevator one day coming up out of the parking garage. And this woman got on the next floor. You know, you smile at one another, and suddenly, hi, I'm Dave Fletcher. I'm such and such. You're Dave Fletcher. Okay, what did I do? (laughs) It's my first natural response. She said, well, you actually sat and met with my husband about four years ago, talking to him about this opportunity. And based on what you told him, he realized it wasn't a right fit for him, but I realized it was a right fit for me. Wow. And so that was a four-year sort of a relationship. And what I say is there's always something there for for someone, but it may not be right now. And, um, you know, a, a common example is we get a lot of students, you know, first year students reaching out to us or you know, just graduated, I'm looking for a job, what can I do, where can I go? Well, we may or may not have the right opportunity, but here's what you maybe need to, need to do to build your experience and, and just build on some of that and leverage some of that. Um, you know, the more people I talk to, the more we've all traveled sort of the trail of developing our experience in different areas of the country or the province uh, to come back to where you really want to be. And maybe that's Calgary, maybe that's Vancouver, maybe that's someplace else. But it's, it's trying to look at the people and say, do they meet our qualifications? Are they matching? Are they professional engineer? Do they have structural experience? Do they have water experience? Any of those kinds of things. And saying, great, let's try to make them aware of the opportunity. What we said from the start is we're always trying to improve the quality of our competitions. It's not about purely getting more numbers. We get a high volume of applications. It's how can we improve the quality of those applications coming through? Sometimes that's directly marketing out to those people that have those right skills. Now, what would you say, let's say somebody listening is an in-house recruiter, a corporate recruiter, and they're looking at their invoices and they're paying a lot of money to agency recruiters. 
maybe good reason, bad reason for that, you know, or everything in between. But if they were to make a compelling argument to their boss saying, hey, I want to do more in-house. I want to purchase a LinkedIn recruiter seat. I want to do X, Y, Z. What would you say to that person? Like, what what should they do to make that argument to their boss to finance that? The first thing I would say is start to look at yourself first. What are you hoping to do in your, your career? What are you willing to do? The first thing I'm going to say is you guys probably know this isn't a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. I'm getting phone calls in the evening. I get phone calls on the weekend. I get emails. I'm responding. Uh, I'll, I'll take a vacation. And even though I'll try to turn things off and give it much advance notice, I'm still logging in to check a couple of things. So if you're looking for a nine to five job, this probably isn't it. And I had a recent example where a recruiter reached out to me and I often get these, we'd like to talk to you about an opportunity. Well, the first email I got was for this job. Then when I, I you know, sent an email in saying I'd like to, I'm available at this time, they say, oh, well, we don't start until nine. Well, I'm here at seven o'clock in the morning, 6.30. I'm available at 8.15. Then when I phoned in, suddenly it was a bait and switch. We wanted to talk to you about this job, but we actually want to talk to you about this job. So some of that, that process of looking internally first of what are you willing to do and want to do, and that's to be successful. Because if I don't find somebody, somebody else next to me is going to find them mm-hmm. and, and take off that way. Second of all, start taking a look at what does your organization do? What's the volume? What are those kinds of aspects that you want to be involved in or not involved in? And I say aspects because myself and my partner love technology. We love the LinkedIn recruiter tool. We love some of the other tools. We're on it all the time doing this kind of work. But there's other people that may not like that type of work. They maybe can't operate in that same level of speed or functionality. It's also a highly customer service relationship driven conversation. So there are people who are great conversationalists who can sit down and talk to people at lengths, and there's other people that are more more reserved. So it's not just about saving money, because I think there's value there with executive search firms as well too. Can you save some money? Yes, you definitely can, if you've got the right skill sets, drive, experience, and so forth. At the end of the day, the the dollar savings can be one of the biggest things, because if you're paying an executive search firm uh, a high percentage of the first year salary, and Maybe a LinkedIn recruiter tool is uh, maybe $30,000 for a year or something along those lines. You could pay for that tool with one position being saved. What I've got it for the rest of the year. What I've also heard of is even companies um, where they have a really mature in-house recruitment team, uh, where they, and uh, outside of exec search, where they really need help is in seasonality. So when suddenly the jobs ramp up way higher than your in-house recruitment team can handle for that really short three-month period yeah. and you need you need help to go out is that something you agree with or disagree with so going out to executive search with with those kinds of things go, going to a search firm yeah so so we, we have partnerships with some search firms for for some activities or that high volume some of the other high volume areas we don't have partnerships with and it's a matter of planning mm-hmm. and what are the resources available and, and who's involved for some of those seasonal things that are high volume, there's a there's a good core group of hiring managers from those areas that are involved in it, they're ingrained in it, it's a well-established practice, and it's a good move through that process. I love that you said planning because I feel like that's often what's missing is we're so reactive and we, we need the, we need these 10 guys yesterday, right? And, and I'm not saying we're not like that. It, it, we really come in with a perspective of what does the hiring manager need? And sometimes that hiring manager is, I need them now. All right, 
let's start looking at a plan. We're not going to deviate off the plan, but these are the best steps that we can be taking that we need to move forward with that. But at the same time, we're always trying to advocate, you know, Luke, if you know you've got a position in, in three months from now that you want to fill, let's start talking now. Mm-hmm. So generally, you know, much like when Tim was in his previous role with our organization, Tim would phone up and say, Dave, I've got this role. I think it's coming maybe a few months down the road. Terrific. Let's start putting together some pieces now so that when we step in, everything is in place. Nothing's being held up or slowed down in any way. I do think an in-house recruiter, in theory at least, has that relationship with hiring managers and they can push back a lot. I think an agency recruiter, they get the phone call when they get the phone call. There's, unless they have a really, really good relationship, which is possible, I guess, yeah. um, they can't push back as much. They get the request when the request comes in. But I think in-house, or you can, even if the hiring manager doesn't call you directly, you can piece together information to know that something's coming down the pipe as well. Yeah, I, I think the in-house recruiter definitely has that insight uh, on what's coming down the road, the knowledge of the organization, um, the corporate values, all of those kinds of things. They, they definitely have that insight. In terms of the pushback to the hiring manager, that really comes back to that sourcer, recruiter, human resources consultant. What is their personality type like? What are they willing to do? What's the hiring manager like that they're working with? Um, I I saw a presentation, John Velstekia, I think is how he pronounced his last name out of Seattle, who is just a a fabulous guy. And he he really puts it straightforward in saying, it's your responsibility. You need to have this. Don't go along with, you know, a crazy idea just because that's what the hiring manager wants to do. You're the expert in the room. You need to be able to come back and, and, and share that with them. And he used just a couple of tremendous examples of, of where he kind of failed in his career with some of those crazy ideas that he did. I think having that relationship and that willingness to push back, you know, I mean, the hiring manager could say, I want X, Y, Z. And just by asking the question, what about this? You know, have you considered, okay, you want an engineer in this manager position? Does it have to be an engineer? Why does it have to be an engineer? Would you consider an architect or whatever that might be? And I think that can be a healthy conversation to really push that hiring manager beyond their limited scope there. Absolutely. And, and that's why I often say we're, we're more than just sourcers or recruiters. And I'm not a fan of those titles. We're, we're human resources consultants with a specialty. And, and that's because sometimes those kinds of conversations happen. And it may be structure or maybe realignment of roles and responsibilities or any of those kinds of things. And, and we play a part in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've given some tips throughout this conversation, but do you do you have any tips for listeners that want to do more in-house? Okay, they've been able to pull it in-house and they want to do more headhunting or sourcing or whatever we want to call it from an in-house seat. Do you have any tips for them? Um, kind of lessons learned from you doing it over the last X, no, X number of years. Yeah, the, the first thing is, is, is think about your role. And so many people think, you know, like, well, I, I saw this person's profile on LinkedIn, I'm just gonna send out a message. Do your research know who you're targeting, know where you're targeting. What are you competing against? So it, it really is, I've often described my role as, as being very broad. At, at part-time, I'm a human resources consultant, knowing all the legislation and policy and practice. Another moment, I'm a private investigator because I need to try and figure out where these people are. I'm an economist <laughs> because I'm trying to figure out what's happening in other areas of the province or the industries or sectors or country to say, where can I reach out to those those individuals? And what kind of challenges am I gonna face there? And so, you know, it, it's looking at all of those aspects. And I often say it's, it's a puzzle and you gotta try and put all the pieces together. What do you need to know? Well, if you go in with a small amount of knowledge, you're gonna come out with a small example and a small result. But if you go in with a broad spectrum of knowledge and knowing and understanding these areas, 
And that includes sitting down and talking with a hiring manager. I don't understand this technology. I don't understand that. What can you bring me up to speed on so that I'm aware of it? Go in as knowledgeable as possible. Number one. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think be creative. Some of the first things that we ever did have still been ranked as some of our highest successes. And so um, talking about a seasonal mass hiring, when we first got involved in LinkedIn and we're sitting with our contract manager and they're telling us what to do and we said, well, you know, I, I, I don't really agree with that. Well, why not? It's our best practice. It's, it's what we've done. And so our team, myself and my partner, made the conscious decision to say, we're going to go against what they told us and we're going to try something. And so they're saying that the demographic on LinkedIn is 18 to 65 years of age. It's professional. It's these kinds of industries and so forth. And we said, well, we've got to do a mass season, seasonal hiring. We're making some pushes for, for recreation leaders and so forth. And so we just put an ad out on LinkedIn on our, on our page, and we shared it with all of our followers and all of our connections. And all it said was, do you have a, a son, daughter, niece, or nephew looking for summer employment. Check out our recreation leisure jobs. And that took off like gangbusters. Mm -hmm. And my simple answer is, as an adult of a 16-year-old boy right now with a car, you need to go get a job. Yeah, (laughs) You've got to start paying for things. That had an amazingly tremendous response for us. But talking to LinkedIn or other experts, they're saying, no, it's not going to work. And so doing that creativity and, and having that creative idea really came forward to us and it worked incredibly well. Be courageous. Take a chance. Take take a chance. Yeah. But we took a calculated chance. And we said, you know what? There's a pool there. There's got to be a pool with a son, a daughter, a niece, or a nephew. We're not putting something wild and crazy on there that we know isn't there. Well, in the worst case scenario in that case was you get zero applications. Exactly. So it was courageous, but you also Lower had to us. think through you know, the, the worst case scenario. wasn't that bad of a result. It wasn't that bad. You may have bad. just wasted a bit, bit of your time there. It, exactly. So being being that creative individual coming up with ideas and thinking through the process and, and, and coming up with some create, creative ideas, those are the things that are really moving things forward now. And so when I'm doing research or when I'm following what's going on in the economy, I'm often not necessarily following recruitment type blogs or, or podcasts, although I listen to your guys' every week. Um, <laughs> Shameless plug, yes. Shameless we plug, yes. Say that. yes. But I'm, I'm watching other things like The Gathering, which is a huge marketing event that happens out in Banff every yeah. year. And you're seeing like, you know, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Yeti Coolers, uh, UFC, like some of the top companies in Canada or around the world and what they're doing in their marketing and doing with their branding and these kinds of things. And, and that's some of the things that we've been trying to emulate in some regards and bring into our practice. I think that's healthy for a lot of recruiters. We had a previous guest talk about that, Serge Boudreaux, uh, talk about his experience in marketing kind of roles and now in a director of talent acquisition type role. But I think we can learn a lot from our marketing partners and what they're doing and use some of those principles and apply them into recruitment. Absolutely. And and just leverage Google, honestly. If you want to know anything about a company right now, you can Google it. Uh, there's so many companies that have open source data. How much does XYZ company pay their senior finance leaders? You can Google it, likely find a document that's open source that says management level, these are the salaries, these are the skills. You're going to get some insight. You can gain all of that. It's huge. Now, Dave, um, you mentioned that you also like to use a focus on data and, and use that data to make your decisions, take action. Yeah. How do you do that at the city? 
or, or what kind of data are you able to leverage and what kind of softwares or tools are you using to do that? Yeah, you know what? The multitude of tools are obviously using our in-house tools. First and foremost, what is our workforce looking like? What are our age, our demographics? What are the demographics of the applicants, of the recent hires? We're looking at all of those kinds of things. Myself and my partner track all of the data in terms of what are the projects we're involved in, what type of a return have we gotten on those, what hires are attached to us. Those are the things that we can sell back to our own team, to our manager, to our supervisor, to other hiring managers to demonstrate the value that we bring. So we're looking at all of those kinds of elements and we're, and we're trying to integrate them and pull them forward. We're using, um, obviously, Oracle is our big tool that we use. So that's, that's I don't think, any surprise. Um, those types of things, Oracle, LinkedIn, we're honestly tracking in anything and everything that we possibly can from data warehouses, uh, pulling those pieces forward. The more data they have, the, the better picture you're going to have to move forward. In terms of other data, some of it is just, honestly, research. If there's a target audience in Ontario, we're trying to learn as much as we can about Ontario. What's happening in the Ontario economy? How many public service jobs were uh, increased in, in Ontario? And I just read that about 20 minutes ago before this. There's a massive increase in public service jobs in Ontario this year. Okay, great. What do we know about public service jobs in Ontario for those candidates to potentially come to Alberta for a job for us if we can't find someone here? So all of these kinds of things we're, we're trying to leverage. With the obviously the change in the oil and gas economy of Alberta, we went from really competing against that group, trying mm-hmm. to get people, to suddenly a flood of people coming our way. Converted. <laughs> C- converted, but we, we needed to understand what they were coming from. Mm-hmm. Where were their skill sets and, ex- and experiences and how did they align to us? There's only some ways around that. And it's talking to a lot of people. It's talking with both secondaries. It's talking with experts in the field. It's gathering the research, all of those kinds of things. Market intelligence. Market mm-hmm. intelligence, absolutely. I guess one final question here, Dave. You know, we've talked a lot about the public sector. And I think, honestly, if we interchanged the city of Calgary and put company X in there, everything you've said applies to that. But absolutely, what are some differences in terms of recruiting in the public sector versus the private sector? There's a lot of commonalities. We've already talked about them. What are some differences that you've seen? I think one of the the first big things for me, learning and and going through the process, some of the differences, and and this came through talking with other people in other industries. For our organization, and Tim, you're you're aware of this, but for Luke, it may be new, but when we put out our qualifications on our job posting, they are almost written in stone. Those are the qualifications we're looking for. Uh, They're all must-haves. Must-haves. This is the degree or a related degree. We're looking for five years of directly related experience. Must-have this certification. Those are the must-haves that you you have to have. Assets are just assets. They're they're a benefit. And why is it written in stone? Well, there's so many different things involved in the public service. First of all, to be fair, transparent, and equitable, you need to be able to have a system to rate people against, to treat people fairly. And that's part of it. Other parts of it are things such as uh, collective bargaining agreements that we have with union partners. We're a highly unionized organization. Those partners have come together to agree on those terms and conditions of of employment for that job. And and hence, we've had to move in that direction. And so we have to maintain that and honor that and recognize that as a contractual requirement. So that's one of the things, definitely right there. When I was talking with some private sector people, and this was several years ago, and we were chatting with them, and, you know, the, the one woman said, well, how many qualifications do I, you have to have for your job? And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, how many? I said, you have to have all of them. 
Mm-hmm. And she was absolutely floored. And then conversely, I said, well, what about your jobs? How many qualifications? Have you? Well, we've been told if they have 50% of the qualifications, we should be interviewing them. And the next person over, they said, well, you have to have 40% of the qualifications to be interviewing them. And I was shocked because I'm sitting there saying, you know, 40, 50%, if you just look at it from an academic perspective, is not a good grade. Not a pass, <laughs> yeah. You know, and from our perspective, when we have all these agreements and, and things we must be obligated to for, for safety and, and recognition with various uh, boards like APEGA standards and so forth for engineering, you have to meet these requirements. And so to hear that other industries weren't following that was, was a bit of a su- surprise to me. So that was one part of it. I think there is a bit of a misunderstanding or a misbelief. And the misbelief comes to time to hire. And there's a belief in a wide variety of people that the city takes too long to hire or public sector or government is slow to hire. In reality, we've done a ton of research on recruitment, looking all around the world. And one of the companies that always came up as a standard to hire against or was a best practice in hiring was Google. And when we started looking at that, Google used to take upwards of 365 days and put their people through 30 to 40 different assessments before they made a hire. And then when they hired the new head of talent acquisition, he came in, an industrial psychologist, and said it's a rule of four. There's four steps to making a hire. And he got his hire down to 49 days as a standard. For our organization, we use that realm of six to eight weeks. 49 days is seven Seven. weeks. So it lands right in the middle. So to us, we're saying we're in best practice. Do we hire faster? Absolutely. Have we hired slower? Absolutely. But that generalized rule of that seven weeks sort of time frame, six to eight weeks, is, is what we work off of. It doesn't mean we may not come back months down the road to talk to another candidate that wasn't initially hired to, to talk about something else, but we work in those types of realms. And so I think that's a, a misbelief that people have that it's, that it's always slow. Um, it's not always slow. So that's that's definitely a difference in, in the private sector versus the public sector. Um, before you get to all the other things that kind of go along with employment in those industries and so forth and, and that kind of idea. And I almost uh, looking forward, maybe one day we'll facilitate a debate on some of these topics. Some of our uh, previous guests, I think it would be an open debate. And I don't know where it would be, but it would be kind of fun. But thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Dave. It was fascinating to hear a perspective. And again, we work together but I think for our listeners to understand a little bit about recruiting in the public sector and the work that you do and the actual creative work that's done, some in some cases leading edge work, I think has been fascinating uh, hearing you talk about that. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, not a problem. I really enjoyed coming in today. And it, it is really fascinating, enjoyable work. And it is, at times, people are surprised when you hear the public sector marketing and branding and trying to reach out and yeah. encourage people. Yep. I'm impressed. Um, I'm actually really impressed. I, I was not expecting that it was so proactive. And I, I like it. Yeah. But you know what? There's there's positives and, and, and negatives. There's great executive search firms. There's great public sector. There's mm-hmm. great private sector. Yep. There, there's a mixture. I don't think there is exactly one exact right answer. It's, it's just the matter and time that you're at. Well, we'll end it here. Um, you can connect with Dave on LinkedIn, ironically. Absolutely. Dave Fletcher. You can track him down there. And you've been listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. Mm-hmm.